What is it like to be a midwife in a polygamy group? Next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Tragically, a few years ago, my younger brother passed out of this life, and it was during the time that our show was being broadcast live on TV20. So I knew that in going to his memorial service, I risked meeting up with some of the people who embraced the doctrine of polygamy, which I was speaking out against, and I was somewhat apprehensive. But most of them, when I got there, were very courteous and kind to me. And there was one lady there who had been the midwife to most of the births in the Kingston polygamy group. In fact, she had just written a book about her life and experiences growing up in the Kingston group and about her work in the medical field as a midwife. So I asked her if she would like to be a guest on our show and talk about the book. And she just smiled at me and declined. <laughs> so I asked her if she cared if we reviewed her book on the show and she said she didn't care. Now it's been a few years since then but I think that now is the time to discuss, a good time to discuss her book. The title is uh, The Midwife. It's a biography of Laureen Ekstrom Kingston by Victoria D. Burgess and is published by Signature Books. Now I remember Laureen very well growing up in the Kingston group. She was well liked she was highly respected, and for, for some people, she was the go-to person for advice. Very pretty and elegant, I thought. And, of course, the midwife, delivering many, even most of the babies that were born to the women in the group at that time. I remember when I was a teenager, I started experimenting with wearing makeup, which my <laughs> mother opposed. Not happy with. <laughs> and now since Loreen was so highly respected and she wore makeup, I asked my mom if I could wear makeup if Loreen said it was okay for a teenager. So I asked Loreen the next time I saw her. She laughed and I realized now she didn't want to get involved with private family quarrels and her answer was a non-answer to me at the time. She said, quote, I believe that an old barn can always use a new coat of paint. <laughs> Well, that was a perfect non-answer, and yes, a wise answer, and that's how she was. Her book is very interesting. We highly recommend anyone interested in the topic to read it. Because of time, of course, we've had to be selective sure. in what we discuss uh, as we review her book. Lorene's mother's name was Blenda, who was the sister to my father's mother. So we're related, though not that closely. Lorene's father's name was Ernie. He had joined the group, but he was highly critical of this polygamy doctrine, and he refused to be drawn into polygamy. He never had more than one wife. Mm. So we begin at the part of the book where Lorene is a young girl, and our first quote is from page 10. <clears throat> at age 10, Blenda started preparing Lorene for polygamy, asking her daughter how she would feel if your husband was playing with his other wife in another room. Polygamy was a prerequisite for the highest degree of glory, Lorene was told, but it was, something a but it was something a woman should keep to herself. Even if an angel appears and asks you if you're a plural wife, 
you're to deny it. Now that's part of the brainwashing mm. that they use in the group, and it's just, it's just, it's a sample and of the lies that children are are uh, taught about the necessity of lying about polygamy, even to an angel. That's, <laughs> that's strange. Yeah. Throughout her book, she refers to the Kingston group as the co-op because it was formed as a cooperative society based on Joseph Smith's United Order. So when you see that word, that's what she's writing about the Kingston polygamy group. She writes about the co-op's philosophy on marriage. <laughs> Only men from the co-op were considered appropriate for the young women in the co-op. Curiously, women were expected to marry at a fairly young age, but no age was thought to be too old for a man. The men could find plural wives outside the co-op, but if a girl married an outsider, she was excluded from the co-op and shunned by her family. Marriages had to be approved in advance by the prophet, so if a young woman married an outsider, which the leader would never approve, it was considered to be a, the height of disobedience. And we talk about this kind of stuff all the time, and yeah. here she is just relating that in her book. It wasn't unusual for the leader to refuse to allow a marriage. In fact, it, even if they were both members, he could disallow it, and then mm -hmm. he would get this idea that he should marry her, and he'd <laughs> go marry the woman that this other man wanted to marry, mm -hmm. and that happened a lot. She writes this about the United Order concept. The adult members often thought they were being tested by God to see if they would be fully obedient in consecrating or donating everything they had as a prerequisite to gaining eternal life. Members were asked to commit to the following. It is my firm resolve and fixed purpose to give my all to the Lord, my time, my talents, and all that I am or expect to be for the building up of the kingdom of God. <clears throat> this was taught to the children to recite in Sunday devotionals known as Memory gems. <laughs> Memory gems. Memory right. gems. Oh, yes. <laughs> now, of course, this this is equivalent, you know, dedicating all you are will hope to yeah. be to the promises and covenants made the LDS taken, yeah. Temple yeah. Covenants, um, dedicating everything to the religion. Now, their philosophy is definitely socialist. Uh, which never works either politically or religiously, but it merely serves to enhance the lives of the leaders, making the members their slaves without representation or recourse. We have another quote from page 50. The co-op was understood to be all-encompassing, to apply to everything in life, even to giving one's body to one's spouse in marriage or sharing a husband with other wives. For the men, it meant confessing belief in the principle of plural marriage, even if one did not participate in it. Now, this is brainwashing and yeah. strict control. Money was turned in, as they called it. In fact, all earnings were expected to be turned into their office, and that's called the law of consecration. Now, God never gave any law like this. They made the law themselves and expected all members to comply. It was terrifying for members if they needed money for something because they had to go beg to receive back their own earnings and often were turned down. They had a bookkeeper whose name was Artis Kingston, she was a sister of the leader and also a plural wife. We quote what Lorene says about her. When Lorene gave Artis her earnings, she then let the older woman know how much money she needed for her expenses. An artist would give her that amount as long as Lorene's account showed that she had a positive balance, that she was contributing more than she was withdrawing. 
Like other co-op members, Lorene was expected to meet with artists once a month to go over a statement of her account and defend how she'd spent her money, uh, her own money. Uh, exactly. All expenses had to be justified. Sometimes requests for money was denied if artists thought the request wasn't needed or might be out of line. Building God's kingdom was the most important thing to consider, not personal needs, and it takes money to build God's kingdom. But the truth be told, Jesus said that he would build his church. He didn't say money would build it. He didn't say polygamy would, and he didn't say the Kingston group would either. It was generally not considered important for members to get a higher education. In fact, many teens dropped out of high school to go to work in Kingston-owned businesses or, if she was a female, to get married and start her family. Mm -hmm. But Lorene, well, she had a special thing going for <laughs> she her. She did. In 1948, when she graduated at 16 years of age, a month away from turning 17, Lorene became the first in the Kingston group to graduate from high school. Lorene noticed how proud her father was of her, and he told, he in fact told her so. Other members of the Kingston group thought she should be working or getting married rather than going to school. <laughs> so she was the first to graduate from yeah. the Kingston. Isn't that something? Yeah. The, uh, it, it, it's a milestone, I guess, for them at the time. Some members, of course, have this holier-than-thou attitude. They get to tell you what you should do with your life. Uh, if they have the right name, they can be brutally judgmental mm. against those who don't live how they think they should live. Now, the leader's name was J.O. Kingston. They called him Ortel. He is the leader that Lorene most frequently writes about, and he's the only leader that I knew. Of course, he's been dead for decades oh. by now. But she writes this on page 68. Like some of the preaching of early Utah pioneers, Ortel believed that intra-family marriages were authorized by the Bible. His brother Eldon taught that the Kingstons were descended from one of the several wives of Jesus Christ, that anyone with a drop of their family's blood was special. It made sense to them to marry within the family. The young women were dazzled by the trappings of royalty and considered it a great honor to marry into the Kingston clan. And that's wow. the way it was, I'm <laughs> telling you. She was. Well, the Bible doesn't authorize, but it forbids intrafamily marriages. That's called incest. And it's also, incest also is against the laws of the land. Yes, and they claim is. to weigh the lies of the land. So anyway, she writes that because of his position and the fact that everyone would go to him for advice, Ortel began to consider himself infallible and inspired. He con his control would extend into all financial matters and family matters and, of course, all marriage choices. Lorene's interest was the field of nursing. She writes this. Lorene was working as a nurse's aide at St. Mark's Hospital, getting as close to the profession as possible. She consulted with Brother Ortel about pursuing a career as a licensed practical nurse. He responded by warning her that education was damaging to faith and to good character, but said he would not oppose it if she felt strong enough to withstand the secularizing influences of school. He said the Lord would guide her to know what the co-op would expect from her in return. <laughs> <laughs> I know that kind yeah. of made me cringe yeah. when I read that too. <laughs> uh, there, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit too. That, but their mindset regarding the spending of money is perfectly illustrated as Lorene writes about her father Ernie making a very small purchase. But people had also complained when Ernie bought mentholatum 
for a sick child saying he was spending the last penny the co-op had, so it was not the amount of a purchase, but the fact of having or doing something the others did not have or do that caused dissatisfaction. Now, that's not an exaggeration. Really? It really isn't. Yeah, wow. a small bottle of mentholatum. And we always heard, all the while growing up, that's the last penny that the co-op has. You can't spend it. If you find a dime on the sidewalk or a penny, pick it up and turn it in because they need the money. That's exactly what we would do. And Lorene uh, was also a skeptic about certain teachings of the, of the Kingston group, one of them being that uh, they would teach that people outside their, this little group were bad people, that they were all very wild and wicked and should be avoided as much as possible. And that was, of course, the advice she got from the leader about going to school. Sure. That sure. is damaging, you know, and they weren't to be socialized with. Well, this was the thinking of all the morning poly Mormon polygamy groups, and it still is among many of them. She writes this on page 76. Lorraine had become convinced that there were good people outside of the co-op. Within her, within her subculture, this was a dangerous idea, but she was increasingly unconvinced by members saying that they were inspired to do something. They could justify doing anything they wished by convincing themselves the Lord had approved it as long as they had a warm spiritual feeling about it. Instead of taking responsibility for the outcome of their choices, the members attributed everything to an unseen power over which they had no control. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we heard that all of our lives, too. Lorene was working in the hospital by now, and she was earning wages, which she dutifully turned in to the oh group. But she also would keep some out sometimes and spend a little money from her paycheck on like Christmas gifts or yeah. other small personal items, which included acquiring small home furnishings to fill her hope chest. And every young woman had a hope chest sure. in the co-op. Now, a hope chest consists of items that a single girl would accumulate to furnish her future home. She writes this. Every time she received a paycheck, she, she bought a blanket or some other item for the hope chest. A cousin of Lorene's, Ivan Nielsen, told her it was selfish to keep back part of her income, saying it should all be turned into the co-op. This was confusing to Lorene. She felt guilty even though she thought she was doing the right thing. Well, when I read that part of the book, I was a little bit shocked. I'd never heard that story, but, I, but it shocked me simply because the cousin who rebuked her and accused her of being selfish was my father. And that's the good example of the importance that they placed on money and the guilt trips that they applied when we didn't spend or save our money according to their strict requirements. It's very destructive. And it's a huge mental obstacle to overcome once a person is freed from their groupthink environment. Another judgmental attitude members played against each other was in their marriage doctrine. We quote, with increasing frequency, the typical profile of a shunned member was a young woman, a young girl, who had not wanted to marry an older man. In such situations, the parents were told to treat their daughter as if she were dead. That's kind and consider. Even believe that. Uh, <laughs> No, it's, well, we, we were raised with that kind of thinking. Now, but I find that interesting because a Christian group then and now c claims that their basic philosophy is the golden rule. Uh. 
The golden rule says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I never was treated that way growing up in the co-op, ever. Mm. Um, and treating a daughter as if she was dead because she didn't want to become a plural wife of an old man, that's the golden rule. Uh -uh. But it's Mormon polygamy. Again, it's the coercion and the manipulation these polygamists do in the name of God that makes them so pernicious. In pursuing her medical career, Loreen learned some things about the outside world that few members had the opportunity to learn. And I think that that was one reason that she was always so approachable because yeah. she knew both sides of, of, of the world. And, and I, I always saw her as kind and not condescending, a very sweet lady. Um, of course, she did get married, and she married a Kingston. She was the son of Eldon. She married the son of Eldon Kingston, who had become, who had been the first leader uh, or prophet of the group, and of course later was in a plural marriage. This is what she said on page one hundred six. One day, Brother Charles stopped by to tell Lorene that her husband would be expected to take another wife because, as a Kingston, he had to set an example. In addition, the family was responsible for preserving the principle of polygamy on the earth. The co-op derived its power and protection from obedience to that principle. Oh my goodness. Yeah, um, and, and that's what they would do. Her husband would be expected to take another wife because yeah. he was a Kingston. Yeah. And, you know, the, these Kingstons were lifted up so high, and they still are. They're still lifted up high onto the, the royalty um, part of the, of the human race. <laughs> And her husband did take another wife, and it was her sister, Rowena Eric, uh, Ekstrom. Mm -hmm. And many people who have followed the news about Mormon polygamists will recognize her name. In the early 1990s, Rowena became a co-founder of Tapestry of Polygamy, uh, and it was an organization that spoke out against the abuses in polygamy. She helped educate the general public of what Mormon polygamy was really like from the inside. She, she'd talk about the group think and the group treatment and the poverty and the slave-like obedience that they required. And it all contributed to Rowena's decision to fight against their tyranny. And I don't know how many of our viewers remember that or remember some of the things that she did, but she, she was in the news quite frequently for, um, for several years. In doing so, Lorene and her husband, uh, because of what Rowena was doing and she was a sister wife of Lorene. Then Lorene and her husband, although they were not involved in Rowena's activities, they were called on the carpet. Wow. And they were told they couldn't come to church anymore. And they, you know, and they, really? so they, they, <laughs> they were just um, disciplined by the Kingston leadership, even though they didn't have anything to do with Rowena's activities. Mm -hmm. Sadly, Rowena passed away out of this life just a few weeks ago. Mm. Now, one of their many repugnant practices is in the discipline of their children. I've talked on this show in the past about how they used water torture to break the will of the child. Now, Lorene writes about another procedure that they used, and yeah, we quote. This was shocking. Often the purpose of discipline within polygamous families was to break a child's will. Adults used to apply the quote, Apache death grip, when a child disobeyed, placing a hand over the child's mouth and nose so that it could not breathe. Such children grew up without a strong sense of individuality. Torture. So that would be, yeah, that, that 
and, and I remember seeing this happen to other children. I mm -hmm. don't recall that it ever happened to me. It could have, and I just don't remember it, you know, because they would do it too when mm -hmm. they were very quite young. But I've seen it happen. I see their faces turn blue and, and thinking that they're breaking the child's will, but that, does, oh, that doesn't do it. Um, Lorene, through the years and through her work in the medical field, became a very well-known and much-loved midwife, not just for the Kingston group, mm. but also for other polygamous families and even for some who were not fundamentalists but wanted to give birth at home. She was surprised to learn that the homes of other people were much different in a good way than the homes <laughs> in the Kingston's polygamy huh? group. Lorene remembers how her eyes were opened when she started visiting fundamentalists who were not from the co-op and walked into homes that were comfortably furnished with happy children who were respectful of their parents but not robots and modern, well-educated wives in many cases. For some reason, the path the co-op had chosen was one of monetary self-denial and sexual excess. Now that kind of explains it, you know, yeah, it that kind of explains the priority that the Kingston set on different things. Yeah. Um, most every single uh, polygamist home in my, during my time in the group was a, was a trash. It was, a, it, 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 was, it was just not well kept. You oh. couldn't put money into it. They needed the money, you know. Um, and and they wouldn't even if you if you wanted money to fix your house up they would deny it you know you have to go ask yeah, for every dime right. you get, and and so uh, and they wouldn't cl even clean it up and there, even recently in the news there's been times where people would go to a Kingston home on a call or something and it was just uh -huh. horrible to go inside of the home and here she is talking about going into non uh, other polygamy homes but they're not Kingston's and yeah. they're nice homes and they have nice they, they're spending money on their families <laughs> where the Kingston's wouldn't do that wow. so they they denied you the money and sexual excess is what Loreen said the co-op had chosen that path now she remembered something and wrote about this and this surprises me about her yeah. mother-in-law right. because I would never have dreamed this about this woman but she told her what her personal dilemma was in accepting polygamy. Yeah, Lorene's mother-in-law Ethel <clears throat> told her it took her 10 years before she knew if polygamy had been the right choice. Lorene noticed that when a man had three or more wives he was more likely to resort to manipulation to control the women. She heard a young man say You'd better believe that in this marriage, I'm going to have more fun because now I know how to do it. <laughs> Conjures up all kinds of things, doesn't it? But that's yeah. a typical attitude of polygamous. He just, they just control their wives, the wife. And, and people say, well, that's not the way it is in polygamy groups. Women don't have equal rights in polygamy groups. I don't care what family it is. They don't have equal rights. They can't. Mm. Um, and, and this is another, the next quote that we have is another one that really quite shocked me that Loreen wrote down about Paul Kingston. Now Paul Kingston was not the leader of the group when I was in it. Mm. Um, it he was the son of Ortel Kingston, the leader, one of the sons, one of the many sons. Um, but he was being groomed to become the leader and, but he, and he is the leader now. But this is what she wrote that he said before he became the leader. So Paul Kingston's the leader now of the Kingston group. Mm -hmm. She remembered hearing Paul Kingston say that the more you lived in the co-op, the more you lived with the devil. 
That's a shocking remark in light of the fact that later he was offered the leadership position and became the leader of this devilish religion, living with the devil every day, according to his own words. Lorene was certified with the state of Utah through the Utah Midwife Association, and she has attended approximately 3,000 births. She did not hesitate to seek um, emergency hospital care for any problem that arose during the birthing process. And she delivered most of the babies. Um, she was called, she was put on call or on notice when a woman thought she was getting ready to have a baby. She delivered several of my mother's babies hmm. um, and many of some of my sister's babies. Wow. Uh, and and uh, in fact, I was invited to attend <coughs> the birth of my youngest brother and Lorene attended that birth. Um, my, my mom was trying to get me into the <laughs> into the mode of yeah. you know being married, but anyway, midwife midwifery generally has had little support from the medical profession or even the general population. And Lorene sometimes felt that loneliness, but she writes that she has experienced countless times of joy and fulfillment in attending deliveries, helping both the mother and the baby. You know, on page 180, she says, How wonderful, she exclaims, and never grows tired of it. The most spiritual high I ever had was at a birth. I have never left a birth without feeling inspired, even though I feel physically exhausted. Two hundred years ago in England, a man was executed for attending a birth. How curious that now most obstetricians are men. Isn't it funny how, how change. societies change and people's ideas change? Anyway, there's a lot more in the book, and I do recommend, if you're interested in this type of thing, uh, that you do um, go buy the book. You can get it on Amazon.com, and I don't know where else you can get it. But uh, we want to thank Lorene for, yes. for writing these. There's a lot more in the book that you can read that would find interest. She's helped other women a lot. I, my memory of her is positive, very sweet, generally non-judgmental woman who stood up against evil leadership at critical times. And we thank her for her book, which sheds a, a lot of fresh light on some of what has taken place inside the Kingston Polygamy Group. And they're actually quite well-to-do, aren't they? The Kingstons? Uh -huh. Well, the latest I heard is they're worth almost a billion dollars. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So all those all these money saved, penny earned, uh, really paid it, off it for them. It paid huh? off. <laughs> Well, do the yeah. members know? Do the members are they aware of this affluence? Well, I don't know if they know how much money they have or how much money they don't have, because I know we were always told, "Oh, we're we're so broke, we're so broke. The the co-op is broke. You can't spend the money. You can't do this. You can't do that." But that was what you heard all their life. And as I grew older, I thought. They must be stupid businessmen if we're always broke. You know, it, it didn't compute. And they do own a lot of businesses in town. They own lots of businesses, lots of, of real estate. Real estate. Lots of property. And of course they 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 you know don't pay their, their wages to the oh, workers. Yeah. A lot of volunteerism. Well so to speak. forced volunteerism. Right. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's interesting when you get inside the groups and find out really what's making them tick and what's, what this is all about. And these stories are so abundant of mm -hmm. the abuse and so on. So there has to be something to it. Mm -hmm. It can't be just, uh, yeah. Yeah. And then Paul Kingston says that they live with the devil every day. <laughs> I'm going to use that one again. I'm going to keep that in my memory. So there's the book, The Midwife. Thank you, Earl, thank, again. Thank for, you. 
for helping out with the show. Uh, you know, unlike polygamy groups, God does not require paybacks. God's character is to give and to give some more and to just keep on giving. In fact, he gives the greatest of all gifts, eternal life, just for trusting and believing him. The Kingstons always expected our ultimate sacrifice and personal and, and financial to benefit the group. But in contrast, Jesus sacrificed himself to benefit us. All the sacrificing that the polygamy groups insist upon are not God's requirements, they're their requirements. In fact, in John 16, 29, it tells us that the works that God requires is to believe in Jesus Christ and only in Jesus Christ for eternal life. He is the one who paid for it. You cannot earn it by living polygamy or being faithful to a polygamy group or by membership in any church organization. Jesus Christ alone is the Savior. Thank you. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.